0: As we begin today, I want to tell you about one of my best days ever. Maybe while I tell this story, you can think about what a similar day has been for you. Uh, It was a day towards the end of February. Uh, The weather in Sydney was perfect, and so a trip to the beach would not be out of order. Though it was even better because while there was perfect weather in Sydney, Uh, It was 2010, and the Winter Olympics were also happening in Canada, which means that, for me, really, the best of two worlds was taking place. Surfing was available, and snowboarding was on the TV when you needed a break from the first thing. Though that's actually not what I'm talking about. That's not what made the day good. That was just what was happening at this time at the time of one of my best days. Uh, I know this because on this particular day, a Kirstie was stuck in a car with her dad. Uh, I, and it was an expensive car. And because it was an expensive car, believe it or not, the car had a TV in it. And so as they sat stuck in that car, they watched the Winter Olympics together. <laughs> Why was Kirsty stuck in a car with... Her dad, you ask? Well, it's because she'd arrived far too early to our wedding. (laughs) The day I want to tell you about is the day that Kirsty and I got married. It was a day that had so much energy poured into it. In the months and days leading up to our wedding day, we planned things almost relentlessly. We made invitations. Kirsty had to buy a dress. I had to go and buy a new suit. There was food to be organised for the reception. We had to do some preparation where we looked at the Bible together. There was a lot invested in this special day. And because of all the planning that we had done, we were looking forward to that day. I actually think that a little part of us was actually waiting for that day to be over so that we could get on with the rest of our lives. And if you're married or have been married, you understand what I'm talking about. i think we realized that a wedding day was not the goal of a wedding is it instead a marriage is the goal of a wedding and we were looking forward to doing life with each other for the rest of our lives but it was a day that we were looking forward to now thankfully the day went off without a hitch our planning went well it was an excellent day and because of that we now look back on the 20th of February, 2010, with really happy memories. Though even though the memories of that day are beginning to fade as we make new memories, that happens, doesn't it? Are showing us that in hindsight, we probably shouldn't have stressed so much about the silly little things, silly little details that we were so worried about that we don't even remember to this day. But it was a day that we were desperately looking forward to and now we are able to look back and give thanks. Now, I wonder if you were to think for yourself, what happy days do you think of when I speak of your best ever day? What happy days do you think of? What day in your past do you think about? And maybe you have a day coming in the future that you are looking forward to. That'd be a good thing to talk to each other over morning tea about. What are you looking forward to? What have you enjoyed in the past? Although separate to any physical things that have happened to us in this world, maybe the best day of your life was the day when you came to Jesus to receive forgiveness and salvation. That'd be a great thing to talk to each other about over morning tea, wouldn't it? But why have we started thinking about good days this morning? Well, it's because regardless of what our pasts have looked like, the passage that we have in front of us from 1 Thessalonians today is drawing our minds, as Paul will do so next week as well, he is drawing our minds forward, not back, forward to the best day that there will ever be. In the earth, And just like a couple preparing for their wedding need to make sure that they're ready, this morning the Apostle Paul is going to remind us that there is a day coming in the future for all of us and every single one of us need to be make sure that we are prepared for that day. Because the day that he's going to teach us about will be a great day. It will be a wonderful day. It'll be a day of singing and celebration and trumpets as we heard in our reading and as we've already sung this morning. But the reality is that it will only be those things for the ones who are prepared for it. I open up the passage. Paul starts this section of chapter four by telling us That people who believe in the gospel of Jesus are to be clear and consistent in their thinking and practice, which is what Paul has been doing all the way through this book for us, as he encouraged these Christians and us to not be thinking the same way the world thinks about life and eternity. Instead, if we trust Jesus, we need to have our thoughts and actions shaped by the reality that Jesus is the King of our lives and not us last week we were told that we need if we trust in jesus we need to have our actions transformed in regards to sex life and work and today paul moves on and what does he address next well it's death the other great reality of life and he says this in verse 13 about how christians should think about the topic Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. That's what he says right from the beginning. And what he's doing in in bringing this up is highlighting the sad reality that this world does not have a good way of dealing with death. For this world, it has by and large rejected God and in doing so has rejected the way God thinks about things. And in doing so, many people around us today have bought the lie 100% that this life is all that there is. And so you need to make the most of this life, which often means that people give very little thought to what comes after this life. I see this happen at almost every single funeral I take here at church as grieving loved ones come to me completely unprepared for the reality that they now find themselves dealing with. We also live in a world where we have segmented ourselves off into different communities. This was highlighted in a show. uh, What's it called, Kirsty? The um, Old People's Home for Teenagers. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, One of the participants, one of the elderly participants, uh, the premise of the show is that they get oldies and teenagers together. Basically to prove the biblical principle that life together in diverse communities of different ages and stages is actually really good for us. That's all that they're proving. But I think episode three of a five-episode series, one of the elderly participants died. Guess how many of the teenagers had known someone who had died? Zero. None of them had ever known an older person who had died. Thank God for God's church. It's not something to glory in, but our boys have known many people who have died and gone to glory. Jesus, uh, Paul tells us not to be ignorant like the rest of humanity. Life is not all that there is. There is a life to come. Don't segment ourselves off. But coming back to the main thrust of what Paul tells us, the world that we live in has, by and large, rejected the message of the the gospel, uh, the gospel that says that God loved the world so much that he sent his son into the world. And what did his son do for the world? He died for the world. Jesus died for the world so that all might believe could have hope for the future and their salvation. But so many, in the peop- so many people in the world have rejected Jesus and they have no hope for the future at all. And most people today are actually not able to think of a time in the future when everything will be better and made right. Because of this, Paul tells us, all unbelievers, all they are able to do at the point of death is grieve because it's awful and it is awful, but they have no way of thinking about it. The point that Paul is making here is that for people who do not trust Jesus, there is no hope to be found in that place. There is nothing good coming in the future for the people who have not attached themselves to God's Son Jesus, who offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who come to him. Now, that's a bit of a downer, isn't it? That's a bit of a sober way to begin thinking about death this morning. But Paul is saying that Christians need to think rightly about death, to not think the ways of the world about death, either that it's not coming, to be fooled that it's not coming for you, and you cannot also believe for a second that you will not face death. Instead, thinking rightly about death will see you recognise that our time on this earth is short, isn't it? And in light of that, you'll make sure that you are ready for what comes next. Though right at the beginning, Paul wants us to know that if you trust in Jesus, you do not have to grieve without hope. This doesn't mean that you can't be sad when people die. Though when a believer of Jesus dies, the reality is that even in the awfulness of death, there is still hope. Paul wants to think God's way about death. And if we do that, there will actually be something wonderful for us to give God thanks for by the time we get to the end of our passage. And so as we move on in the passage, and we're looking at verses 14 and 15, uh, Paul tells us exactly why we are able to think about death differently. And he does this very simply by explaining us what he's already explained to us, Earlier in this book, he explains to us the gospel again and how it affects our here and now and affects our futures as well. Have a look at what he says. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive Who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. What Paul is telling us is this, that if you trust in Jesus, if you trust that he died and rose again, if you trust that he died in your place and came back to life, showing that he had defeated sin and also defeated death as well, if you believe in that and if you trust in that for yourself, then what that means is that a day will come in the future when Jesus will return to take you home to heaven. Paul also says in these verses that it doesn't matter if you're dead or alive when Jesus returns. If you're dead, he will raise you back to life. And if you are alive, then what you'll see is all of Jesus' other followers Your brothers and sisters in Christ, it will be a day when the residence of God's kingdom will be on display for all to see. What Paul is describing for us is the fact that on that day, all of God's people will see Jesus face to face, and they will know that He will have come come back to Earth to take all of His people, you and I, with Him to heaven for eternity. You see, unlike the unbelieving world, this is the future for you if you trust in Jesus. Now this is what Paul is reminding us about from verse 13. What Paul is telling us is that for people who trust in Jesus, death isn't final. For followers of Jesus, the thing that is eternal, the thing that is final, is not death, but our eternal life with him which means that upon the death of a believer it's okay to feel sad but we need to remember that death is not their final destination which also impacts the efforts that we should go to to proclaim the gospel to an unbelieving world because the implication from this is that if people don't trust Jesus they will not gain entry into the future, the happy future that Paul is reminding us of this morning. And so if we have received entry into God's kingdom, we need to be doing everything in our power to show others how they can get in as well. Because if our unbelieving friends and family do not trust in Jesus, the reality is that we will not see them in the kingdom. Now, I need you to know that I don't say these things because we have our family all organised with guaranteed entry tickets into heaven. Friends, just like you, in our family, there are many people who we will not see in heaven. And to use the language of Paul, that brings Kirsty and I so much grief. I speak to you as someone who has skin in the game, so to speak. And so we need to pray for our friends and family. We need to take every opportunity we can to show them where true hope is found. Because the reality is, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, and we hear again this morning, Jesus will return one day and he will judge the world. And at the moment, we have many members of our family that will be found wanting on the day of the Lord. They will not be declared forgiven. They will be declared condemned. And they will not enter heaven. Pray for your friends and family. Take every opportunity you can to speak to them about the hope that you have. And then as we keep moving forward in the passage, in verses 16 and 17... Paul gives us a little idea as he focuses our minds and our hearts towards heaven. He gives us a little idea as to what this big event, the return of Jesus, will look like. I say little because all of next week's passage is going to be on this one topic. And so we're not going to spend a huge amount of time thinking about it. But in verses 16 and 17, Paul gives us a little taste of what the return of Jesus will be like. Read on with me. Now, it's a very short summary. Next week, he's going to go into a little bit more detail. But do you get an idea of what a big deal this event is going to be? Jesus is not going to quietly come back, is he? Instead, he's going to come down from heaven. As he comes down from heaven, there will be a really loud voice giving commands. There will be a head angel. There will be a trumpet that will be blasting on the day when Jesus returns. Which takes our minds back to the last time this happened. Just as the army of angels appeared to the shepherds celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus, the first time he came, God is going to celebrate the occasion of Jesus coming again because how could God not celebrate all of his people coming home to live with him forever? Huge event. Other people who died following Jesus will be raised back to life. And the people who follow Jesus, who are still alive, will be reunited with their Christian brothers and sisters and Jesus will take them home. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. Though I realise that if I don't stop preaching, Jesus might come back before I'm finished. And So how about we wrap things up? But today we started by thinking about some of the best days that we've had in our lives, and what we've heard from Paul today is that no matter what good days we've had in our lives, no matter what bad days we've had in our lives, if we trust in Jesus, the day that He returns will be the best day that we will have ever experienced. If you know the good thing about that day? It'll go on. It'll continue. The goodness of that day will continue on into eternity. But as we've already thought about this morning, the implication is that that day that Jesus returns is actually only going to be a good day for the people who are found following him. And so the first question I have for you this morning in light of this is not about our friends and family, but is about whether you are trusting Jesus. Are you following him? Have you trusted that he died for your sins And rose back to life. Or are you just like the unbelieving world. Finding themselves hopeless about the future. I said at the beginning, death is still horrible. But Paul Paul isn't saying that Christians have a big party when a Christian dies. It's not what he's saying at all. Death is horrible. But Jesus helps us grieve with hope that we will see our friends again. So firstly, the application is come to Jesus or come back to Jesus every single day and have your hope for your eternal future renewed. The second thing I want to leave with you is this, and it applies to you if you're already a Christian, and it comes in verse 18. Look at it with me. A little line at the end that we often forget. Paul says, after, preaching, after teaching them about heaven, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Why does Paul end this passage about the wonderful and huge trumpet-blasting day when Jesus returns? Why does he end this passage with a very simple instruction to encourage one another about heaven and the day when Jesus returns? Well, I think it's because Paul realised that it's very easy for us to forget that Jesus is ever coming back. It's easy to take your eyes off the prize of heaven as we get bogged down in the mundane things of this life. In this, we need to make sure that we're reminded every single day that heaven is coming and actually how good it will be. Last week, Paul talked to us about how we live in the here and now. Well, I'm convinced that it's only really through remembering that heaven is coming that helps us to remain faithful to Jesus in the here and now. Because as soon as we buy the lie that this life is all that there is, we give in and we compromise in our living for Jesus in the here and now. You see, other parts of the Bible speak of the Christian life as a race. But unlike a running race as we know it, as Narelle already alluded to this morning as we began, the race of the Christian life is not a marathon that we run solo, is it? The Christian life is a team sport. And we're all on Team Jesus together, aren't we? Yes, we're all living our own lives. Yes, we're all responsible for our own decisions. But in this final line, Paul tells us and reminds us that God's people have an obligation, a responsibility to help each other finish the race, which is why the passage ends with such an encouragement. Because as members of God's family, the reality is that we are supposed to love one another We are supposed to encourage one another. We are supposed to help one another as we travel through this life. We are supposed to welcome one another. And also, as Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. What does he say at the end? And all the more. As you see the day approaching. See, Paul understands that if we are to have our eyes on the prize of heaven, we need to be helping each other to keep our eyes fixed on the goal. And so, if you're already a believer of Jesus, I wonder what it would look like for you to make it your personal mission to encourage all your brothers and sisters on all of our journey home to heaven. What would it look like? Hebrews tells us that we should meet together and we should take our place in the active participation of encouraging each other in Christian things. But in closing, today we have heard that no matter what good days we've had in our lives, no matter what bad days we've had in our lives, the reality is that if we trust in Jesus, the day that he returns will be the best day ever that we have ever experienced. Just like Kirsty's grandparents, just like my grandparents as well, just like many of our loved ones here at church and in our families, the day when Jesus returns, that is the day we will see them again. Wonderful day. And so the message is very simple from our passage this morning. Trust in Jesus. Don't forget the hope that you have. Make it your mission to help each other remember the hope that we have and let eternity shape how you live in the here and now. Because while we can get bogged down in the mundane things of this life, we have a day coming in the future when our Lord will return to take us home. There'll be trumpets and angels as God celebrates his faithful people, the people bought with the blood of his son, coming home to live with him forever. Amen.